It was a game with unprecedented point totals. You saw the score at halftime and the final score, and you thought both were misprints. Two offensive teams wildly underperforming their season averages. But the most surprising sports story of the weekend wasn't Patriots-Rams. It was Virginia Tech 47, NC State 24. Yes, that's a final in a 40-minute basketball game. the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of Double Bonus Podcast. Uh, I am Brendan Rocher with co-host Tom Forstein. Um, remember to rate, review, subscribe, download on uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes slash Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. Um, also, hit us up on email at doublebonuspod at gmail.com or go to our website, doublebonuspod at uh, .com, and then hit us up on Twitter at doublebonuspod. Um, those, that's where we'll be most of the time, Twitter, email, and then subscribe and download, rate, and review. Uh, yeah, so we had um, – it's the end of the football season, so hopefully we'll have a, a decrease to brain injuries. That'll be, it's a good, uh, good thing, and now f- focus can turn to uh, things like – Maybe uh, pitchers and catchers and signing Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. But from our purposes, it can turn to the last full month of the college basketball regular season in anticipation of March Madness. Um, and in February also means we're going to have our, our, our top 25. So once a month, we'll, we do that. And uh, again, that top 25 we'll have later. And we've seen some big movers and shakers over the first month of conference play. Uh, but what are you, what are you, what's on your mind as we... Um, as you think about college basketball here at the dawn of the post-football season? Well, to start, I'm very excited because Ken Palm rankings have dropped preseason data completely. That happened the day after we last recorded. It happened on Monday, January 28th. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it's one of the most anticipated days in the college basketball season. You know, you have the season tip-off. You have the first day of conference play. You have the first day of the conference tournament. You have, like, conference championship Saturday. You have selection Sunday. You have those regional final, regional semifinals days uh, in mid-March, and then you have national semifinals and a championship game. But really, Ken Palm going full current season data is uh, in my top ten for days of the college basketball mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when that happened, uh, Providence dropped out of the top eighty for the first time <laughs> in like four or five years. Uh, the last time they had done that was after a 30-point loss to Villanova in January of 2014, and they followed up that uh, 2014 drop to like 83rd or 81st or whatever it was by winning their next four game, five games and then winning the Big East Championship. So I was pretty excited about maybe Providence doing something similar this year. Instead, they uh, they lost to Seton Hall and DePaul, and now their hopes for an at-large bid are pretty much no, but I think the good news for us on this podcast is that now that I'm kind of resigned to Providence not making the NCAA tournament this year, at least not as an at-large or without some kind of ridiculous finish of the season, I can not be so emotionally invested in every game. And hopefully that means I won't then not watch college basketball for days and days after they lose from here on out for the season. Yeah, that's a good uh, February resolution for you. Um, and you know, in theory, with Ken Palm, it shouldn't you shouldn't see a team drop 18 spots like that when the preseason. It was, it was yeah, eight. It was like eight spots. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. but yes, yeah, it should be a seamless transition. I know that's what he's going for, and he's got a he's got a lot of algorithms in there. So uh, yeah, I was surprised yeah. at well that it was that big. I, I figured like he would he probably drops it from like one percent to zero percent, but I feel like he drops it more from like ten percent to zero percent. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know the details, but it is fascinating to see and. 
Yeah, I'm also looking forward to February. We're going to see the two best teams probably in the Big Ten play each other and the two best teams in the SEC play each other. And the Big and, East. And the Big East, yeah. And maybe even the uh, – depends on who you think is the second best team in the ACC, whether it might be North Carolina. You can see those teams. Now, those teams always wait till February to play, basically. Um, so it's not quite as annoying from a schedule perspective. But, uh, yeah, there should, there's some big games coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and plenty of stuff to get, keep us now between now and conference tournament time to keep us interested in the sport. So Yeah, yeah. Well, one could argue that this Saturday, February 9th, might be the most interesting day in, on the calendar so far for college basketball in terms of the number of great games. So, um, you know, we have Duke, Virginia. We have Marquette versus uh, Villanova for the first time. And, uh, and there's several other games that day that we'll talk about later. Um, so I think, you know, February is bringing us some good basketball to start. The last couple of weekends weren't maybe quite as good. Uh, the last couple of Wednesdays were maybe quite as good. But I think this week we actually have uh, some very good basketball to look forward to, especially now that we don't have to worry about uh, Providence Northwestern so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's start. Uh, I'll start us off with um, our Six is Good uh, segment this week. Um, I'm going to start with the game that Tom teased in our cold open and, and kind of a an ACC uh, round round the conference, but uh, yeah, Virginia Tech 47, NC State 24. It was um, uh, NC State's worst points per possession and worst effective field percentage in the uh, Ken Palm era. And I think you said the four five, the point four five three points per possession. That's the worst in the country this year too. Is that right? Uh, it's possible. Yeah, it sounds right. Okay. Um, it was their worst three point percentage uh, in a game where they actually made a three point percentage in their team's. Um, at least their Ken Palm history. Uh, it's just I I, I I didn't watch the game. I was actually um, volunteering on Saturday, and so I wasn't paying attention. Humble brag. Yes, I didn't. I, I guess I could have <laughs> just said I was I was indisposed, but like literally, I was volunteering. No, no, it's um, good to encourage people. Shame me into volunteering. Yeah, more. yeah, yeah. Policy. So yeah. Um, with a, a, an organization called Don't Walk By, look them up uh, if you're interested in learning more about uh, homelessness and and that sort of thing. But back to uh, Virginia Tech's. Um, you know, the ball did not find a, find a home in the rim the entire game, pretty much. <laughs> they had, uh, they literally had nine made field goals in 40 minutes. They were two, I, I miss like, I'm, I've seen the box score already, but I'm looking, I just, I see new things each time I look at the box score. Two for 28 on three-pointers, including Braxton Beverly, 0 for 9, and C.J. Bryce was 0 for 6. So combined 0 for uh, 15. What are they on the season? Let's take a look. Braxton Beverly for the season, even including this game, shoots 36%, and uh, C.J. Bryce shoots 39%. So entering the game, they must have been in the mid 40s and like 40. Well, like, what are the uh, uh, someone should someone probably did this of those two players going over 15 in a single game? Um, I I get I honestly I cannot imagine watching a game that has this few points for one team in the shot clock. I, I can't imagine what it was like to watch it. Like, I, I literally, it, I cannot fathom watching a game where a team scores 24 points for an entire game. No, it's amazing. If you told me, by the way, that they play Virginia and Virginia Tech and their offensive efficiency would be twice as high in one game as the other game, I might believe it. Plausible. Plausible rumor. But they actually averaged point nine eight five points per possession against Virginia in an overtime loss, which they actually played well, and you argued 
Um, maybe even could have won, definitely could have won the game. The game went overtime and had some miscues at the end down the stretch. Uh, but then they scored 0.453 points per possession. It's un- unfathomable. I sent you the tweet last night. I think it was 800 players in the country, different players in this country, have scored more than 24 points on their own in a game this year. And they ended up with 24 of that points. It's crazy. Uh, Columbia, as I said, Columbia and the Armand Hill, Princeton offense days, never had a day like this. That's saying something. The, the player that um, who had the best offensive rating for North Carolina State in this game he, uh, was Wyatt Walker. He was 0 for 5 on two-pointers and 1 for 1 on three-pointers, um, had no turnovers and no assists, and that was the best. And, and uh, he did have seven offensive rebounds. That's probably why he had a high offensive rating. He was the best offensive player for North Carolina State in this game, a player with three points on one of six shooting. By the way, it was 801 different players that scored 24 more points in a game uh, this season. So it's just... Uh, it's, yeah, my, and my friend told me about the score. He's like, you got to check out this Virginia Tech NC State score. And I look at my app, and he told me the score was ridiculous. I'm like, no, my app's messed up. That's not right. <laughs> they didn't score 10 points in the second half. It's That's wrong. He's like, no, it's right. It's, it's just like, yeah, uh, I don't understand. The last time I had that experience with a score was when I woke up the morning after Virginia lost to UMBC last year. And I kind of scrolled through I, I, that morning. I woke up early, whatever it was. I woke up. I scrolled through. It was like towards the end. Obviously, it was the last set of games, and um, and they lost by 20. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Hold on. And yeah. um, like maybe they put the wrong team winning. And then I looked, I looked in the box score and like added up the points for both teams. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, add up. It's wrong. Yeah, it's not yeah. wrong. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm trying that's to where. Do... Sorry, uh, what I was do you just got? trying to do a search of where this ranks in the last 20 years or so of um, fewest points in a game. While you're doing that, I'm going to move on to the other ACC yeah, games. Sure. Um, ACC is, is a conference of blowouts, but we did have a good game on um, on Tuesday night where Virginia beat Virginia Tech by one in overtime, uh, 66-65. Virginia's defense was awesome for 25 minutes, and then NC State turned up the pressure and played really well. DeAndre Hunter fouled uh, at the buzzer, basically, with about a second left in overtime with, uh, with his team up three. And it was, uh, it was a definite foul, and he fouled out. It was such a bad play by a smart player. Um, but, uh, uh, Markel Johnson missed, um, missed the first free throw and actually made the last one. He, uh, he probably wanted to go make, make, miss. Instead he went miss, make, make. So he only really got one of what he wanted. Um, in that game, Wyatt Walker was terrific, um, scoring 11 points on just two field goal attempts, um, five offensive rebounds. I, they are great on the offensive glass and they were good against uh, Virginia in that game. Uh, elsewhere in the ACC, uh, and, and again, I think we should take a big picture view of it now that we're in um, now when we're in February. You look at the top of the conference, and you have Virginia eight and one, Duke seven and one. Again, they play this uh, this Saturday. North Carolina seven and one, and then Virginia Tech, Louisville, and Syracuse the seven and two, and the other nine teams in the conference are, are four and four, which is Florida State or worse. North Carolina State now four and five, projected to go four, nine and nine in conference, and. Again, I do think that there is a chance that North Carolina State could struggle to get to the NCAA tournament, even if they do finish nine and nine, um, because they only have two um, A wins this year. That was the win at Notre Dame, which may not end the season as like a top 50 win uh, adjusted for home and road, and home against Auburn. What do you yeah, got North, for us, Tom? North Carolina. Oh, first of all, it has it has not happened in 10 years. It's the fewest points in 10 years. But believe it or not, St. Louis against George Washington scored 20 points in a game. I think I remember uh, someone talking. I think Ken Palm talked about that on his yeah. podcast. Uh, that was in the Rick Majerus, or the, maybe the just post Rick Majerus era. Um, yeah. That, that. Yeah. 
than other teams that have scored fewer than 24 points recently. Georgia Southern did it against Coastal Carolina in 97. Princeton, you expect that kind of stuff. Uh, that was at the end of the Joe Scott era there, December 14th. 2005 against Monmouth. Uh, Hartford did it against BU, 22 points. Samford against Ohio State. That sounds right. Army Bucknell, ooh, that sounds like a great game. 23 points. And Miami of Ohio scored it against Dayton. And then Savannah State played Oregon in 05 and did it. So those are the only teams to score. Um, yeah, say, St. Louis is like the biggest named team of that group yeah. um, that NC State's part of. Um, and that game also was 53 possessions. That game was, uh, the George Washington game was at GW on Thursday, January 10th, 2008. Um, and St. Louis that year uh, was actually not bad. Well, I guess they 57th is not good. But, um, yeah, they ended up later, I guess later in the Rick Majerus era. That was his first year. Um, and that was also a time when possessions were, um, possession, the pace was slower, although this game had the same number of possessions as, yeah. uh, as that game. But yeah, but back to the ACC, I'm really liking what North Carolina is doing. They mm-hmm. avenged that, that up until Saturday, which was wasn't one one of the most shocking results in the ACC this year was when Louisville went into Chapel Hill on January 12th and beat North Carolina by 19. They went back to Louisville, returned the favor one by 10. They won five straight games, uh, three straight A games for them. They have a little soft, two more very winnable games coming up, home against NC State. Home against Florida, Miami of Florida, and then they have a game at Virginia. Uh, sorry, at home to Virginia, so they have a three-game homestand, mm-hmm. and then they go to Wake Forest before they finally visit Duke uh, on February 20th. So North Carolina picking up ahead of steam. We've talked before about their schedule and how it's favorable among the big three in the mm-hmm. ACC. So I like what they're what I'm seeing out of them as they kind of coalesce uh, in conference play here. Yeah. Um... Nas Little has not continued his stellar play that we saw in that um, Virginia Tech game. He was still kind of back into a limited role, you know, scoring four points uh, against Louisville. But, you know, Cameron Johnson and Luke May are playing, um, like, I guess, second team all AC players. The AC team is going to be tough to make this year with um, DeAndre Hunter and Ty Jerome and RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson probably yeah. taking up four of those spots, not to mention Nikhil Alexander Walker and Justin Robinson. But, you know, Luke May and Cameron Johnson are both playing, like, first team all or first team caliber and probably will make the second team. Garrison Brooks had a great game. Um, and the defense uh, really stifled um, Louisville, um, holding them under a point per possession, basically by limiting them on the offensive glass um, and then limiting them from getting the foul line um, in this game. So, yeah, Louisville, a bit of a drop-off for them um, after they've been playing quite well. This game was only a 10-point game, but really it wasn't as close as the, as the score, the final 10-point score. They were never closer than 10 after the six-minute mark in the first half. Duke, uh, UNC went on to beat Miami after uh, by 10 after beating um, NC State. Uh, neither was quite as dominant as their usual performances, and Duke won two blowouts, 20 points at Notre Dame and 30 points at home to St. John's uh, anticipation of that uh, upcoming Duke-UVA um, game, which will be Saturday in Charlottesville. Um, any thoughts Any thoughts on the ACC? You want to move on to your first? Uh, let's move on. Mm. Let's talk about the Baylor Bears who at one point were playing the Kansas. The Bears. The Bears, yeah. The Bears. Uh, so the Baylor Bears, um, who have always been a good defensive team, um, at one point they were playing, on January 12th they were playing Kansas, they were getting blown out at home, they made a furious comeback, fell up short, fell short, they were 1-2 and two in the Big 12. Since then they have not lost, they have won six straight games, including five straight in conference, they beat Alabama at home in the SEC Big 12 Challenge for good measure. Their last two wins have been by... 26 points and 30 points, uh, most recently 
at home to TCU and at Oklahoma last Monday. Uh, they are now tied atop the Big 12 standings. Uh, Scott Drew has really turned them around. They're 6-2, and two, which ties them with Kansas State. They're a half game ahead of Iowa State and Kansas. And this team that was ranked outside the top 100 in offensive efficiency uh, about a month ago is now ranked uh, 29th in Ken Palm, which is almost as good as their defense, 26. And what's crazy about this team is they do it all with offensive rebounding. They're not a good shooting team, but they are outstanding at offensive rebounding. They shoot, their EFG is 132nd in the country, 51.9%. They don't shoot the three well at all. They're 209th in the country, but they rebound 38.4% of their misses, which is fourth in the, in, in the, uh, in the country. And this team is really dangerous. They've um, they've really liked Mackay Mason. The Yale transfer actually played against them in the tournament uh, when Yale beat Baylor several years ago. That was in Providence, by the way. Okay, good. Yeah, it all comes back to BC. Uh, they um, I remember they the lost. Last time Providence won a game in the NCAA tournament was that year too. They beat USC. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, they lost Tristan Clark right before the Kansas game, and since then they've just done gone and rattled things off. Scott Drew has got to be considered for Coach of the Year. I think nationally, just given how his team, you know, a lot of newcomers on the team. Uh, they've just coalesced quickly. They could win the Big 12. I don't think they will. Uh, Mackay Mason had 40, by the way, versus TCU in a game they missed. They rebounded 50% of the misses. Um, they got Mario Kegler back. Jared Butler, freshman's been woven in. This team is really, I mean, they're not pleasant to watch because they're in the Big 12, but uh, they are really good and really effective, and I think they're really dangerous. And, uh, I'll just, say, it, yeah. It's a, strange, it's a strange team, but I think they're really dangerous. I'll say a couple of things about Baylor. One, Makai Mason, I remember watching him as a freshman at Yale. Um, he was, his mind works ahead of most other players, and that was true in, in the Ivy League, and that is still true in the Big 12. Um, two, uh, Baylor has the number one offense in the Big 12 and Big 12 play. Uh, 1.15 points per possession is the best in Big 12 play. Three, um, they have number one actually effective field percentage in the Big Ten in the Big Twelve in Big Twelve play, fifty four point two percent, and that includes forty point two on threes, which is first in the conference. So they've found their shooting shoes now that Makai Mason is healthy and playing well. He's at thirty nine percent in conference in overall. But in conference play, you can argue that if it was just a conference thing, he's a first team all Big Twelve player. Forty six percent on three pointers in conference play, fifth in the league in true shooting percentage in conference play. Um, and he's and that's why he's in the top ten in usage. Um, and so he's been outstanding in his senior year. He's been in, he was injured for years. He had a he had a hand injury and other injuries. Now he's healthy, um, and he's been dominant in um, in league play. And so you know Baylor's a team that we thought probably was the worst team in the Big 12 for a while, and then West Virginia or Oklahoma State was the worst team in the Big 12. But they felt felt like maybe the eighth best team in the Big 12. But now there's a case that could be made that they based on how Texas Tech has been playing. And that they're like a top two or three team in the Big 12, and maybe even the best team in the Big 12. It's not out of their own possibility that they are actually the best team in the Big 12, considering that neither Kansas nor Iowa State nor Texas Tech nor Kansas State is a dominant top five team. Baylor, if they can even this trajectory, and if Makai Mason is in fact this, but good, may be the best team in the Big 12. Yeah, and they also have a big game on Saturday, this great great day of college basketball. They play at home to Kansas State, another surprising team in the Big 12 that's hung around near the top. That game is in Waco. Uh, they also play Texas on Wednesday on the road, so a game they're supposed to lose. Texas is a weird, weird team. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into them a little bit, I guess, when we talk about Kansas. But, uh, no, they are. this is an interesting team to watch. Um, and, yes, they are shooting amazingly well in the Big 12, in Big 12 play, so they may come back to earth a little bit, but... 
Yeah, to rebound 15% of your misses, including free throws, which, remember, some free throws you can't get a rebound on, so... Um, yeah, that's been ball. consistent. It's been consistent yeah. uh, that um, K-State, uh, that uh, Baylor has been good offensive rebounding for the whole season. Fourth for the in yeah. the country for the whole season. First in the Big, in the Big Twelve uh, during conference play, yeah. and they're second on defensive rebounding. So this is just a good rebounding team overall. You know, led by uh, Cl- you mentioned Tristan Clark, uh, Mark Vital. Is it Vital? Vital? What do we think? I think it's v- Vital. Vital. There we go. But Tristan, I, uh, I say that with zero percent certainty. Well, ten percent certainty. <laughs> okay. Well, ten percent is, uh, you know, it's about as much as Ken Palm had uh, preseason projections still in his uh, in his thing. We determined uh, before yeah. he dropped him off. Okay, my second item is going to be about the Big Ten. Um, Michigan and Michigan State both lost over the weekend. Uh, Michigan State lost at home to Indiana in overtime in a game where Rob Finnessy scored zero points and. Uh, Juwan Morgan left with an injury in the first half. That's just weird. And it was still a game where Cassius Winston played really well. It's just That's just a weird result. Michigan went to Iowa and lost by 15. Um, it's obviously weird what Michigan State did. Maybe it's just a blip. But for Michigan, we've seen now kind of a pattern of mediocre offensive play for a while now that is making me skeptical about Michigan, um, along with the fact that they're not very deep. Um, they basically go six or uh, six or seven deep now. Um, Michigan, after that result, where they scored 59 points and 74 possessions against Iowa, which still, after that game, ranks last in the Big Ten in conference play in defense, is now down to seventh in conference play in, in offense. So Michigan is really struggling. They're eighth. They're in the bottom half of the Big Ten in shooting, offensive rebounding near the bottom, and uh, free throws. They're almost at the bottom. They're, they're number one in not turning it over, which is a kind of a classic John Beeline thing. Um, so I'm a little bit worried about the offense. Um, being national championship good. Um, Charles Matthews has been really inefficient in conference play, and even for the season, he hasn't been particularly in, uh, efficient. Their only really efficient player is, has been John Teske. Brodzikas has been fine. Simpson has been fine. Poole has been off, uh, off and on. And Isaiah Livers, we know, is not really an offensive player. And Eli Brooks, the sophomore, is, is like is kind of a non-factor on offense and inefficient when he tr- does try to sh- shoot or score. So... My overall point on the Big Ten there is I'm worried about Michigan's offense. Uh, elsewhere, Purdue has now won seven straight. Wisconsin has now won five straight. Purdue now has the number three offense in the country, number one in the conference in conference play. Um, Wisconsin's offense is number six in the conference, and number two they have number two defense, and they also probably have. Um, basically uh, ended any hopes that Nebraska was going to make a, the NCAA tournament as an at-large team this year. Last week when we talked, Isaac Copeland had left the um, the game against Ohio State with a knee injury since he's been ruled out for the season, and that's already a thin team. And then Nebraska hosted Wisconsin and lost by 11, and then went to Illinois and lost by 7. They have now lost 5 straight. They're 3-8 and eight in conference play, and are predicted by Ken Palm to go seven and thirteen, which seems to be the end of their NCAA tournament hopes. It might be the end of Tim Miles' tenure in Nebraska. So that's my that's my mental tour around the Big Ten. Where if you project out now, we have three nine and two teams: Michigan State, Michigan, and Purdue. Michigan State losing two straight, and Maryland's eight and four. And those um, and then obviously they have different caliber of schedules and the different calibers of teams. But you basically end uh, with so you have five teams that are eight eight and four or better, three that are nine and two, and we still have Michigan Michigan State twice in February. Yeah, can we talk about this Indiana Michigan State game by the way? Because so my friend Adam is a huge Indiana fan. I was trying to get him to come out to dinner on Saturday, and I said, you don't want to watch Indiana Michigan State. They're going to get killed. It's just, it's just by the way, that was Friday. It was Friday night. 
No, no, no. So I'm sorry. I corrected you incorrectly, and that's yeah. that's like a double a double bad on my yeah. It's a double touch. Michigan, no, Iowa. Yeah, was, uh, yeah flagrant was, one for you, Brennan. Two shots in the ball to me. Uh, so no, it was it was on Saturday, <laughs> and I said you don't. Uh, <laughs> my audio was bad last week. Now I'm correcting Tom incorrectly. Just ignore me. And he's, he's he went nine and three this week and his picks out six and six. Like it's just, it's Tom's world. Where I'm, I'm just paying rent. <laughs> anyway, so I said you don't want to watch this game. Come out to dinner. And he's like, no. And I told him the score is 13-9. He's like, I got to go watch because we were coming from somewhere else. Anyway, he uh, so it's 13-9 Indiana, I believe. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go watch. So then they win this. Then uh, Juwan Morgan gets hurt. Uh, I know R- Romeo Langford scored 19 points, but like I don't understand. I was all, and I was watching this game. It was on at the bar I went to for dinner, but I just don't understand how they won this game. Uh, Indiana lost seven straight. Michigan was playing on six days of rest. They're the better team. They're at home. Indiana's season's in a tailspin, and I know Archie Miller's been um, just killing his team's effort uh, recently. And so obviously they played a little bit better. Fantasy didn't score. You know this team's not that deep. Um, <laughs> Monte Green came back and played really well, but he had been yeah. suspended indefinitely for Conrad right. like, So it, it's your point. It's like you look at this game, and you're like, oh, well, Indiana, not looking at the box score, Indiana wins by four in overtime at Michigan State. You think, okay, first things first. Man, Michigan State must have had a bad game. You're like, no, they made 43% of their threes. Cash Winston must have had a bad game, a lot of turnovers. No, he did have four turnovers, but he also scored 26 points, and he was the, he was the MVP of the game in Ken Palm. Okay, well, they must have gotten a huge game with Ron Morgan. Nope, he scored five points and only played 13 minutes because he got injured. Rod Finnessy, big game. Nope, zero points, nothing at all. <laughs> well, Romeo Langford was really efficient. Nope, four of 13 on two pointers, and he took a terrible shot at the end of regulation. It, it is kind of an inexplicable performance, but I, I guess when you try to break it down, Indiana got 20 offensive rebounds, which you don't expect against a Michigan State team. And because they got 20 offensive rebounds, they were able to overcome very bad two point shooting. They did hit, hit some threes, 10 threes. Um, and you put that together, and they win by four against a good Michigan State team somehow. Yeah, you make your shots, you can win games. That's the bottom line, and that's what happened. This this game could save Indiana season. They're now, uh, where are they in Ken Palm right now? They were 48th at the time. Now they're up to 45th. Uh, they had lost seven straight. They obviously need to shape shape up. Um, uh, they got uh, winnable games, home to Iowa, home to Ohio State. Those are probably close to must-wins for them. Not must-wins, but close to must-wins. Uh, then they go to Minnesota. Then they have Purdue at home. They're going to have to win three of those four games, I would think, to get themselves back afloat. Um, but hey, this is a team they really are gonna rue the loss to Rutgers away uh, just on Wednesday. That was another bad loss. The other ones you can kind of justify, but you can't. Actually, on the Northwestern loss, they can't really. Those, the, the, on the yeah. road, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that the, the Big Ten in the bracket major still has ten teams in the NCAA tournament. Indiana is the tenth team. If there is a Big Ten team that can go nine and eleven. Um, and make the tournament, it might be this team because of their quality wins. They've already, first of all, their schedule is ranked seventh in the country overall. Secondly, they already have a 23-point home win over Marquette. They beat Louisville at home, and now they've won at Michigan State. That's three wins over three teams who might be top four seeds. And if they get the the five wins they need down the stretch in order to get to nine, you know, those five wins, the most likely not five wins would be home against Iowa, home against Ohio State, at Illinois, home against Rutgers, and home against Wisconsin. So that means they probably have to they'd be beating Iowa and Wisconsin. So they would have wins against Iowa, Wisconsin, maybe, uh, and then add those to their other wins. And you could see how that could piece together. Even at, say, 18-13 and 13 and 9-11, they might make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. And Indiana is probably the best team uh, to be that spot. But I would not want to be the 10th team of 10 Big Ten teams projected to go in the NCAA tournament. 
yeah, with 18 wins or, or 9, yeah, 11, I mean, 11. I would certainly, I would book, I would look at flights to Dayton if I were that, that <laughs> team. And then, uh, especially if I was Ohio State, because they'd probably want to play him in Dayton anyway. Um, but, uh, and that would be very unfair to whoever they played. Um, that happened a few years ago, right? Didn't someone play? Yeah, Dayton Pro- played play Boise Pro- State in Dayton. Yeah. And yeah. and then Dayton played Providence in Columbus. So, yeah. And and Chris Dunn got called for a second foul on a, a very, very controversial elbowing call that had put him on the bench for the rest of the first half in that game. And that was the best Providence team we've had under well, Coach Cooley. Yeah. The foul didn't put him on the bench. Coach Cooley it, put him on the that's bench. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It, was, it was called a flagrant one. Dayton got their two free throws and the ball and put Chris Dunn on the bench with his second foul because of Coach Cooley's decision to do that. It was like, it was like 11 minutes left in the first half, maybe or not. I mean, like, yeah. My hot take on Dayton, by the way, at the first four, is if they're not good enough to make the tournament proper, they're out. Too bad. You want, I, I totally agree. You want your university to host that every year, get them, get the money, get the pub for that new thing. If you can't make the 64 proper, go home. So send someone else there. And, and that year, uh, Boise actually was um, – uh, was really good and, and they they almost beat Dayton that game. Um, it was they only lost by one uh, point at Dayton. You got to figure that initial court they're going to win that game. Um, and that Boise State team, um, Hat Chandler Hutchinson is now in the uh, the NBA with the Bulls. Derek Marks was their best player and was actually MVP of that game. But um, Dayton came back. If you look at the, they were they were down by seven with four minutes to go and they came back and they outscored them ten to two down the stretch and won the game. Anyway. If anyone recalls that Dayton Boise game from <laughs> March 18th, 2015. Uh, yeah. So moving on, my next thing is Kentucky. In the SEC, they came from behind and beat Florida on the road on Saturday, 65-54. They've now won one, two, three, four, eight straight games, seven in conference. They were one and one. Um, no, sorry, they were 0 and one after they lost to Alabama to start conference play in Tuscaloosa. Since then, they've won seven straight. They have not played the toughest non-conference schedule. Their best win is at Auburn. Um, but they beat Florida. They came from behind. They look are looking much better. They also did beat Kansas at home during that stretch in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So my question about Kentucky is, as they're playing better, how much is it just their favorable schedule, some home games, and how much is it are they actually a force to be reckoned with? Uh, on Saturday against North Carolina, uh, sorry, against Florida, they trailed 42-31 with 13:02 to go in the game. And ended up winning the game going away. They scored 26 points in the final 10 minutes, outscored Florida 26-12 in that stretch. Tyler Harrow had 19 points, uh, played very well, uh, shot 6 of 8, including 3 of 4 from both 2 and from 3. Um, they held Florida to 0.86 points per possession, or Florida held itself to 0.86 points per possession, depending on how you look at the uh, offensive situation down in Gainesville. And again, this is another Kentucky team. Their next, their biggest test is going to come against Tennessee, which is still a few games down the road. Uh, but their their losses are Duke to start the season. We all know about Seton Hall in overtime on a neutral and at Alabama by two. And, by two. And their best wins are at a uh, neutral versus Carolina at Louisville. Um, those are pretty good, pretty good wins. So here at we are Auburn, yeah. at Auburn. Yeah, here we are. They have South Carolina. Mississippi State, and then LSU at home, which is actually a sneaky, dangerous game before they get Tennessee at home uh, a week from Saturday on the 16th. So my two questions for you, Brennan, is what does this mean about Kentucky? Where are we on Kentucky? And also is Florida playing itself out of the NCAA tournament? This is a game they're going to regret, I think, big time if they yeah. uh, if they miss the tournament. I, I, Florida's really teased me all year. They started out playing really poorly, but then I think in December, they were if you adjust for like the quality of competition, they were one of the best teams in the country, like a top 10 quality team. And then, so I thought coming to the SEC play, they would be a lot better. 
and uh, it hasn't been the case. You know, this is a home game to lose by 11 at home to Kentucky is just not a good result. Uh, their offense is just not good, and um, and then against Mississippi at home, their 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 defense was not good. Although they did win that game in overtime. Um, so I really don't. Florida right now is the last team in on the bracket matrix, and I'm sure that tends to be a lagging indicator. So they might have, they might drop out by the next time it's updated. Um, when it comes to Kentucky, I think their defense is for real. Their defense is good, uh, and but I don't know about the offense. I think that comes out in the SEC. I I don't know about the SEC. Like, is it good? Is it not good? It might get eight teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I I don't know if it's all that good. Like they, um, and so. I think that the offense is still a little bit suspect for Kentucky. Um, you know, Tyler Harrow, Ashton Hagens, PJ Washington look pretty solid offensively, although Hagens is a little bit limited as a shooter. Um, but the rest of the team, I'm, I'm disappointed with Reed Travis in conference play, especially. He has not been very efficient, and I think his lack of athleticism is, is catching up to him. Um, he's still a good rebounder, but not so much an offensive force, and he's been not as uh, as critical to the offensive late, which I think is wise. Um, you know, against worse competition outside of conference, he was a lot more effective. But also, maybe it's just a slump. We'll see. Um, but you know, I think you know with Harrow, Hagens, and, and Washington, maybe you have a top three that's good enough. I don't know that the backcourt that Hagens is a good enough point guard is like a lead guard to score uh, down the stretch and in the NCAA tournament. But he's obviously good enough defensively. Defensively, this team is great, and I think that if they can get the offense together, then I think that they're a national title contender. Yeah, back to Florida for a second. Let's not forget that they blew a huge lead to South Carolina at home, too, on January 5th. They were up, uh, I believe, 14 in that game? Yeah, 58-44 in that game with 10 minutes to go. So if they don't blow... I actually watched that game. Double <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> if they don't blow double-digit leads in home games... Now, obviously, uh, Kentucky is a different animal in South Carolina, which is who's been playing pretty well. By the way, Frank Martin looks like he's aged like 10 years since the Final Four birth yeah, years ago. Yeah, it's weird. It's, yeah, very strange. Um, anyway, but we'll talk, that's a separate podcast. That's going to be a, a, a bonus pod. Um, <laughs> just single bonus, just, you know, like, just a separate <laughs> episode. Uh, but yeah, if you take those two, you flip those two games, they're probably, like, very comfortably in the tournament, and right now they're not. And so now they're going to have to uh, do things a little bit differently, and they are, uh, you know, by that I mean win games. They have a very tough week. They have Auburn on the road and Tennessee on the road this week. So they are staring right now at four and six in the SEC in the face. Um, uh, so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be uh, Michael White right now. Yeah, I think we saw both teams what they're good at, what they're bad at in this game. You know, you look at it. It's thirty-five. It, it, the score was 31 33-31 Florida with about eighteen minutes left in the game. Florida scored again. And then, and then Kentucky went on to eight straight possessions didn't score against a good defensive team. So you're like, oh, Florida's defense is stepping up. Florida's up by 11. And then after that, Kentucky put the offense together, and Florida only scored three times between the 14-minute mark and about with about two minutes left in the game. Um, and by that point, Kentucky was up by uh, by nine, and they ended up winning by 11. Um, so I think we you see the good and the bad in both. Um, Kentucky has more good, and Florida, it's just they're just you have a guy like Jalen Hudson, like what, this is, this is supposed to be one of your best players, and he's certainly shooting um, a lot, <laughs> but he's not scoring, like, the, despite the fact that he is is not playing as much, he's still taking a ton of shots every game, like, he, he played 19 minutes against uh, Kentucky, and he, he shot the ball, he had eight field goals, six and six free throws, um, and you look back against TCU in that game, he took 10 shots and made two of them in just um, in just 19 minutes. Um, so I, it's bad to shot distribution. Jalen Hudson is not the player he's been in the past. He's gone from being like an efficient, high-volume player 
whereas his top comparison was EC Matthews, the really good senior at um, at URI last year, to being like a very low volume, high volume, low efficiency shooter, like um, um, Dwayne Poli, the former San Diego State guy, said one of his comps on, on Ken Palm. Anyway, let's move on from uh, a team that's hard to watch to two teams that are actually fun to watch, and that's Villanova and Marquette. I'm sure you've seen, we've been talking about it for a while, but the Big East is weird. It has two really good teams, um, Villanova and Marquette, combined for a 17-1 record. No one else in the conference is even 500, um, and no one's really emerged from that group as like a solid NCAA tournament team. Um, there are only two of those teams are in the top 50 overall, and that's St. John's at 48 and Creighton at 49. But in the meantime, Villanova and Marquette are a lot of fun. One thing to note, Villanova, um, in four of their last five games, let me see if I have this right. Yeah, in their last five games, they've taken more threes than twos in four of them. And in the other game, which was at Butler or win at Butler, they took only one more two than three. Uh, they've won ten in a row. Um, Marquette has won eight in a row. And this is a team that was worst in the Big East in defense last year, and they're second this year, despite the fact that they still have uh, a lot of the same team. They've lost Andrew Rousey, which makes me think maybe Andrew Rousey was a big part of the problem. Or I'm sure they've changed some things defensively as well. And I think they have room to grow offensively. The fact that a team that um, has Marcus Howard and has uh, Sam Hauser is um, only um, like fourth in the Big East in offense and conference play, um, which was what they are, and they're only uh, third in effective field goal percentage, um, I, I think they have room to grow on offense, actually. Uh, so um, I guess my point is Marquette and Villanova are good. They're playing this Saturday. And the rest of the Big East is uh, kind of bleak. Um, I know that from firsthand experience. Yeah, Villanova, first of all, right now, second in the country in percentage of shots from three. They're over 50% for the year. They're at 53.0% trailing only. Savannah State. Correct. And they're the only team They're the only team in the top 18, excuse me, top 17 from a major conference. Um, the 18th team in the country is... is uh, Virginia Tech? Nope. Um, hmm. You want to give me a conference? I'll give you the 18th and 19th. Are, 18th is from the Big East, and 19th is from the SEC. Okay, the SEC team is Auburn. That's correct. And the Big East team is... That's 18th. Creighton. Correct. Good job. Okay. Okay. And we saw Villanova last year, how they just can shoot, 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 shoot. They set every single three-point record. I think they set the Final Four record for threes. They set the NCAA tournament record for threes in the national semifinal. They set the season record for threes made. Um, Jay Wright is not scared to shoot the three ball. And if they're going to make them, they're going to be dangerous. And we can see just how distressing that can be for an opponent if you start getting hot as a team. And so that's what I'd be scared about with Villanova. They're really finding their, as you said, shooting shoes. They have probably one of the longest win streaks in the country since they lost to Kansas in um, in Lawrence on December 15th. That's their last loss, a win that's helping Kansas. Looks better and better with every passing day. And uh, they are on fire right now, and they also are not bad from two. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, if you, play, if you play them so tight, that's the question I was asking a friend of mine, what he thought. Like, <clears throat> if you're playing Villanova, do you just say, okay, our only shot is to have you shoot a lot of threes and miss? And we're just going to defend you tight, but not overplay you and not give you easy twos. Or do you basically force them inside the, the, the two point, the three point line? I think you still have to play basically dare them to, to make 25 footers, which they are just really good at doing. Um, another thing that you, that you, along with the notes you had, along with being the only team in the top um, 17 in the country, 
um, in three-point rate that is a major conference team. They also have the th best three-point shooting percentage of any team in the top 17 at 36.7%. And again, Creighton is the first team that's ahead of them in shooting percentage at 18. Um, because Creighton's the number seven team in the entire country in three-point percentage. Um, so, you know, I, I think the, a positive thing for Villanova is that against Georgetown, they um, only shot 29% on three-pointers, and yet they were able to win and be somewhat efficient on offense. Uh, it helps that uh, Jesse O'Govan did not score in the game, which is crazy considering um, he had been scoring. If you look at his points, he hadn't scored he hadn't scored less than 10 points, 12 points in the game since December 18th against Appalachian State, and he had scored double figures every game of the season except for that Appalachian State game. And now he scores zero against um, against Villanova on Sunday. Um, not a good result for Georgetown, who is kind of in that th I guess third tier of the Big East. You have Villanova and Marquette in the top tier, and then you have that middle tier of teams that are probably still in the NCAA tournament hunt, St. John's, Creighton, Butler, Seton Hall, and you have the bottom tier of teams that are um, not in the hunt for the NCAA tournament, which is um, Georgetown, probably maybe the best of those teams. Georgetown and Providence are the best of those teams, and then Xavier and DePaul. Yeah, this game is on uh, the Villanova-Marquette game Saturday, 2.30, right after Providence-St. John's, Brendan. Yeah, um, a game that Tom and I were going to be on in at together. Yeah, it seems like a possible doubleheader. <laughs> not not in person, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Villanova is very dangerous, and I would I, sometimes the Seth Davises of the world will say, oh, the the team you don't want to face in the in the first round of the NCAA tournament is Hampton, or the team you don't want to face the the one team you don't want to face is like one of those like small major small conference teams. First of all, the team you don't want to face in the NCAA tournament is Duke. And we go from there. <laughs> That's the team you don't want to face. A team that if you, can think, be... if you think Duke's the best team. Right, right, correct. They're the one team you don't want to face is the best team. Anyway, um, but Villanova is going to be a team that should they get, you're not going to want to see them in your bracket just because they're a matchup nightmare and because they're well-coached <laughs> tournament, very grizzled veteran. And the tournament, as far as coaching goes, obviously, and they are just, you know, you don't want to you don't want to face a team that can just, like, shoot the lights out from three and bombard you because uh, anything can happen in that game. So uh, you probably wouldn't be your first choice to play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and those two teams do have some interesting games before that. Um, Marquette on Tuesday plays St. John's uh, at home. That's their one conference loss of the season was a blowout loss at, home, at, at St. John's. And Villanova hosts Creighton. Um, Creighton, obviously, we just talked about how like they, they shoot threes. You might you might see 63 pointers attempted in that game if you're watching. That's Wednesday at 8 p.m. It's like the Rockets of uh, the Big East. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna move on. We have to talk about a Pac-12 team, and it's Washington. They're now nine and zero in the conference. They have their two toughest remaining games coming up this week at Arizona on Thursday, at Arizona State on Saturday. Those are the only two remaining A games on their schedule. The next rest of their schedule, they would have just one B game. That's Stanford away on March 3rd. So if they win these games, you can make a case they are of a shot at going undefeated in the conference. They're projected to go 16-2 and right now um, in conference play. But if they were to win both these games, which are basically coin flip games, according to Ken Palm, that uh, projection would go up. And they would have right now they have a 5.1% chance of going unbeaten in the Pac-12. And if they win those two games, that's going to go up considerably. Um, Washington... Probably going to win the conference going away. I believe they have a three-game lead already at 9-0. Yep, they're ahead of 6-3 and three Arizona State and 6-3 and three Oregon State and USC. Arizona's 5-4. and four. Arizona State is also 6-3. Sorry, I missed them. Uh, so let's say Washington gets in the NCAA tournament um, by winning the Big 12, the Pac-12 conference title. 
what do we think that does for the chances of getting another team in the NCAA tournament from the Pac-12? Is this good or bad for the Pac-12 that Washington is doing this and going to win this league convincingly rather than an Arizona-Arizona State? Um, I think it's good. I think that, uh, you know, you can... Uh, now you can get a quality win if you're Arizona, Arizona State this week against Washington. That's going to be a quality win no matter what. Um, right now in the bracket matrix, Washington's the, the lowest eight seed. Uh, Arizona State is the um, third to last team in. And Arizona is the 10th to last team out. Um, and no other Pac-12 team is, is on the board. Um, so I, I do think that it looks like Arizona State is your is your shot because Arizona really has fallen off of late. Um, Arizona was looking was looking really solid for a while there, but they they now lost four in a row. Um, they lost both games at USC and UCLA, and they also lost uh, this over the weekend uh, last Thursday actually at Arizona State in overtime. Um, so I think if you're Arizona State and you can, they're projected to go 12 and six in conference. That would put them at 21 and nine, um, especially if they can get this Washington win over the weekend. You know, I think that. Uh, and they have some tough games coming up too, like at Oregon, at Oregon State, at Arizona. You know, they have those games are actually some of those are going to be quad one games for Arizona State. Uh, their schedule is definitely backloaded, um, and so I think that that's their best shot. They need to get Lou Dort to play better. He was really good in the, in the non-conference season. Um, he did have one of his best games of the conference season against uh, Arizona over the weekend, where he scored 23 points. Sorry, 15 points. Uh, had six assists. He's a potential first-round pick um, out of Montreal in the province of Quebec. Um, but I, so I think if they can get Dort back on track, uh, this team is like the, the other chance to win, to get in the tournament. Of course, you also have a 12 team tournament. Uh, you'll have 11 teams besides Washington that have a chance to get an automatic bid and get uh, right. to the tournament that 10. way. 10. California has no chance. That, that's true. That's true. <laughs> California has no chance. So California, just in case you were wondering, they're 0 and 9 in conference. Um, and only, only in a conference as bad as the PAC 12 would an 0 and 9 team that's rated 282 in Ken Palm <laughs> still be projected to win, win one game in the yeah. conference. Um, they, they are actually favored in one game as well. Washington uh, State. March 2nd at home against Washington State. So if you're looking for um, the chance for um, Cal to avoid going winless, uh, Washington State's only win in conference was by 23 at home against Cal. Um, and that would be the one shot probably that Cal will have before um, the end of the Viking Jones tenure at, uh, at Cal, uh, somehow they're not last in defense in the in the Pac-12, which is nice. They're they are dead last in offense, uh, uh, very Providence-like, 94.7 points per 100 possessions, <laughs> but they are they are well ahead of Washington State actually, which has a terrible defense. Um, so anyway, yes, I think I would say that. Washington and State and Cal do not have any chance of making the NCAA tournament or winning the Pac-12. But so I think you have ten, nine other teams besides Washington that would go to the Pac-12 championship, thinking they might have a chance to to sneak out of there with the automatic bid. Yeah, and Washington, uh, by the way, they're first in defensive efficiency by a wide margin, and they are second. And this is in the in the conference only, and they're second in offensive efficiency just by a sliver by point zero four points per possession. So. Uh, they are very clearly the best team right now playing with Jalen Noel and Noah Dickerson leading the way. So um, keep your eye yeah. on them. We saw them and, play last year with most of the same guys. We saw them. Yeah. They had Noel was a freshman, Dina Dickerson, David Crisp, Matisse Teibel, Dominic Green. They were all on that team last year, basically the same exact team, um, which is why their minutes continuity, which is basically the percentage of minutes from this year that are by the same people as last year, is number one in the country. 89.4% of their minutes are, are have continuity from last year. Yeah. 
So keep an, keep an eye on Washington if you want to watch any Pac-12 play. And these, these might be the most, other than uh, that game coming up at the end of the year, the uh, Cal-Washington State game, these, this might be the most exciting weekend in uh, the Pac-12 play. So another, another good game on Saturday uh, for Washington when they play. Which one is it? They play Arizona State Saturday. Yeah. So check that out, I guess, if you like. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You do what yeah. you want. I'm not going to force yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the No Homers Club. I'll go first since we've kind of – I've been kind of going first here. Yeah, as I said, it was a really bad week for Providence. Um, they played Seton Hall on the road, played a, a just a brutal – first half in case you're, you're not aware providence's offense is ridiculously bad and their defense is good so their their games tend to be pretty hard to watch but they tend to be close so against seton hall they played really poorly in the first half trailed at halftime played great for the first about eight minutes second half and then playing those same five guys they ran out of steam seton hall came back late uh, romero gill their center uh what really was a problem down low defensively um where he was blocking a lot of shots and, and changing shots and um Providence ended up losing um, by two. They uh, uh, they did they scored once of their final th- uh, seven possessions, which is uh, which is rough when you lose a game by two. Um, and then on Saturday, uh, they went to DePaul. Um, in that game, they played even worse somehow. Um, you know the thing about it. Okay, you play Seton Hall. They played close, and you're thinking, well, if they win this game, it's at Seton Hall. It's a solid team. This team is beating Maryland. They beat Kentucky. You know, even if they, it's ugly and they win, it's a win. But the DePaul game was so bad that even like if they won the game, I would have been happy, and they would it would have still a chance to go four and one in this key five against which I've been talking about. But it was just it was such a poor performance. And even despite that, they led late in the game again with six minutes to go. They took a, a two point lead. Um, but from that point on, DePaul out, outscored Providence 16, 16 to 2. Um, yeah, and they scored 0.77 points per possession, uh, the Friars did. Um, and now they, like I said, they're pretty much out of at-large consideration. They have to finish probably 7 and 2 in conference. And their conference, their schedule is backloaded because so they get St. John's twice and Butler twice in the second half of the season. Um, and they're already done with DePaul and Seton Hall. Which clearly that, uh, and then they play Georgetown next. So they have Georgetown at home on Wednesday. They're at St. John's, as we mentioned. We'll be there in person on Saturday at noon. Um, you know, I just hope that the offense gets better. They're 181st in the country in offense, which is their worst offensive rating um, since we started uh, Ken Palm in 2001, uh, 2000, 2001 season. And their overall Ken Palm rating of 86. Uh, would be um, their worst since Ed Cooley's first season when they were 126. So it's disappointing. For Northwestern, uh, briefly, they have a very similar team, actually. Northwestern, also terrible on offense and good on defense. So it's been a, little, been a bit rough in terms of the, on the eyes watching this team. Northwestern also last in its conference, uh, 14th in the Big Ten in offense, but only, fourth in defense, which is actually quite good for the Big Ten, which is a much better defensive conference than the Big East. Providence being first in the Big East is probably less impressive than Northwestern being fourth. Um, but Northwestern had a, a, an equally terrible game to the DePaul game that Providence had, losing 70-52 to Maryland. Um, in that game, uh, Northwestern scored 0.8 points per possession. Um, and allowed Bruno Fernandez to have 22 points and 10 rebounds. They were never really in the game, and uh, yeah, it was a kind of a rough week. Um, just not not very watchable games, and and especially the Seton Hall game was. Uh, I had a lot of angst after that loss. Um, the Paul game, I just literally couldn't watch. I was watching it with uh, kind of watching with Teresa, fast forwarding through. We had gotten back, 
uh, and it was like 10:30. The game was at 2:30. It's fast forward. Like, I, I literally just can't watch this game. Like they have wide open shots and they just can't make them. Like it, at some point, you need to be able to make an open shot. And Providence can make an open shot. And Northwestern can make an open shot. And which makes me want to watch not them from here for, uh, going forward the rest of the season. <laughs> Easy decision. Why don't you, what do you got for Kansas? So, I'll start Columbia because they stink also and are now 1-3 and three in the Ivy League with their only win against Cornell. Um, just checking. Cornell's still ranked ahead of Cal, so that's cool. Um, and Ken Palm. Uh, so Kansas lost to Penn and Princeton at home. Um, so that's not... Uh, sorry, Columbia lost to Penn and Princeton at home. Much worse if Kansas did. Uh, so that's, uh, <laughs> that, that would be unprecedented. First of all, why are you playing both of those teams on the same weekend in January, January and February? That would be really weird. And uh, second of all, um, yeah, Columbia and... I think the I bet you the last time Columbia swept Penn and Princeton at home, I was a uh, senior at Columbia in 2006. So, yeah, they lost by two to Penn. Um, the Ivy League, as we know, is a little strange this year with who's up and who's down. Um, right now, Princeton's uh, 4-0, Yale 3-1, Harvard 3-1, so that's pretty normal. Penn is not the team they used to be there, 1-3. So, uh, Columbia, you know, not going to be a factor, but they might be uh, a factor to not finish last. So, that's that's them. The Jim Engels tenure, not off to a great start. Columbia definitely missing uh, friend of the pod, Kyle Smith. Um, as for Kansas, they followed up their game at Kentucky with a loss at Texas. I was on a plane for this game, and I was secretly not upset when the live television on the plane did not work. So I was able to <laughs> not watch this game. It was not a pretty affair. Uh, Texas is a weird team because they're ranked pretty high in the matrix, but they're 12 in the in the metrics, but they're just 12 and 10 overall. Uh, they're 30th in Ken Palm, but they played very well to split the season series uh, with Kansas. Um, Kansas did not play particularly well. They were down most of the game. In fact, the whole game, they made a couple rallies in the second half, uh, but couldn't really uh, get anything going. They were just 6 of 18 from outside. Um, when Diedrich Lawson is just scoring 13 points and shooting 4 of 15 from the floor, you're not going to win too many games with Kansas the way um, they uh, the way they run right now. Oche Abaji was their MVP in that game, scoring 24 points, but they only scored 63 as a team, so you can guess how that went. And against Texas Tech, they bounced back nicely and blew Texas Tech out 79-63. They were playing without Marcus Garrett, who is an all-world defender, but not really a offensive threat except for a, a pretty brilliant stretch of a few games uh, this year. But they were able to shoot the lights out from outside. Finally, LeGerald Vick was 3 of 4. Devon Dotson was 3 of 4. Grimes was 2 of 5. Diedrich Lawson was 3 for 3 from outside, which is obviously not something you expect uh, to get continuously from the big man. Um, but that is where Kansas is going. The biggest difference for Kansas without Marcus Garrett is that means Charlie Moore is the first guy off the bench as a guard, and that is not great. So hopefully uh, Marcus Garrett, which is an ankle injury, uh, will come back sooner rather than later. It was an ankle injury suffered at Friday's practice. The other thing we should talk about with Kansas, and I don't want to go too far down this road, is the Sylvia D'Souza ineligibility ruling by the NCAA. Not only do they ban him for the rest of this year, but they ban him for all of next year, which basically means he's not going to play in college, uh, which is not really great for the NCAA, considering that it wasn't anything he did. It was his guardian. Um, you can get all the takes on the internet about this. It's pretty much another anti-NCAA um, screed, name your writer, they'll go on it. Uh, it doesn't help Kansas in the short term um, with D'Souza out, and uh, it's not really a fair thing to do to him. Kansas is, definitely has some blood on its hands uh, through this whole um, FBI situation. We'll see more of that, but 
right now Kansas isn't getting basically the take that everyone says, but it's true, is that Kansas isn't getting as punished as much as D'Souza is, and that's really not the best way to handle it. So that's what I'll say for that. I don't know if you disagree with that on anything, Brendan. I know we don't really need to go into too many NCAA violation things here, but D'Souza is not as guilty as Kansas, and yet he's the one who's going to basically be stripped of his eligibility for college. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I feel like Gary Parrish actually did a really good job with this. You know, sometimes he can kind of harp on the same things over and over again, but I think in his most recent podcast uh, that dropped yesterday uh, with Matt Norlander yesterday being Sunday, I spent an inordinate amount of time on it, but I think that he had a good perspective that basically you have to, you can't just not punish the player because of what the Guardian did or else that will be the, always be the excuse whenever someone gets caught. But at the same time, a good compromise would have been, well, Kansas can't benefit from DeSouza, but he can transfer someone else, somewhere else and play. And that way he can maybe play next year rather than um, forcing him to, uh, to sit out another year. Um, so I, one thing I'm looking at Kansas on, on the court, uh, underratedly uh, thin team. Um, I'm a little surprised KJ Lawson hasn't been able to play a little bit more this year. We know about McCormick and Lightfoot down low and their limitations. Um, but if you look at in conference play, they only have six players averaging more than eight minutes a game. Um, now, not yeah, so like more Lawson, McCormick, and Lightfoot are all less than 20% of, possess- of uh, minutes possible is what they played. So I think. Um, so I, I worry about their depth, especially if they get in foul trouble. Um, you know, you assume Marcus Garrett's going to be back. I'm not worried about that for long term, but certainly for short term, um, if he's not able to play this week, every game in the Big 12 is pretty difficult, and at Kansas State on Tuesday is definitely difficult. Yeah, that's definitely something to be concerned about. Remember, Habaji was a redshirt guy who just lifted his redshirt only when Azubuke was out for the year with a wrist injury, so he was going to sit out. So, And he's been a revelation at times during this during this uh, Big 12 season, in Kansas, for Bill Self is not the most trustworthy player, not the most trusting of his bench. He doesn't like to, to he tries to steal minutes in the first half, but you'll see games, especially in the Big 12 crunch time, the NCAA tournament, he will just ride guys. He'll ride his starters um, down the stretch and just not play anybody. Like he's not going to, Mitch Lightfoot and uh, David McCormick are not going to play in the second half of a big NCAA tournament game. It's just not going to happen. So it's great when you have Frank Mason and Devontae Graham, but when you have a little bit, you can ride those guys who play 38 minutes a game and are really, really good shape and just really good. But when you don't have quite that level of player, it's not necessarily a recipe for success because guys get tired and it just doesn't work. So we will see. But I do not, this might be the, the time of Kansas team that suffers the fate of the 2015 team, which went out to Wichita State in the second round of the NCAA tournament, though that was ridiculous seeding to put NC State as a, sorry, Wichita State as a seven, but I digress. Um, anyway, let's move on to our top 25. Um, again, we're doing this once a month, and the goal of this top 25 is basically to say, here are the 25 teams in the country that we have put in the order that we think is most likely for them to win the national title. So basically, number one means we think this team will win the national title the most often, if you've simulated the rest of the season a billion times. Number two is second and onward. It's not who we think is the best in order, who has the best resume, um, or even who will get the top seeds. You know, it obviously, as you go further on the list, it will, um, you might, might want to get upside teams that could actually win a title. This is not making the final four. This is not making the Elite Eight. And so the point of this is basically, what would the, the AP poll be like if you did this sort of thing? Um, if you actually use the intelligence and um, 
reporting ability of the writers to add to the quality of teams and then create a poll that would be uh, um, represent what we actually thought was going to happen in March. And maybe, you know, Ken Pomeroy's idea is that you would basically reward the person with the most accurate polls throughout the season based on the champion um, to they would get some kind of financial award at the end, which would make an, create an incentive for um, for them to rank them in a certain way. So we did this November 26th, which was right after Thanksgiving. We did it January 1st, and, we did, and we're doing it today. I'll do it one more time before the NCAA tournament. And then the idea is I think we'll basically average our, all our polls and create our top 25 for the, for the, over the course of the season, and then based on how those teams do in the NCAA tournament and which one wins the national title, we can determine who had the best, the better of the two. So, um, in top 25, um, uh, let's start with our bottom five. My bottom five, 25 to 21, are all teams that um, were not in it last last time we did this. 20, for me, at least. Number 25, number 25, Maryland. Number 24, Louisville. Number 23, Kansas State. 22, Baylor. And 21, Washington. And I see you have four teams that weren't in your top 25 last time either. Yeah, I added LSU, just a dangerous team in the... Uh... SEC, Iowa, Maryland, Houston had been in there, but they were ranked 25th for me, and then I added, and I, Louisville also creeps in there. So those are, you know, these are teams really that are, uh, you know, second level dangerous in the tournament, basically. Yeah, Iowa and, and LSU were your bottom two teams, and two teams I didn't have. It looks like you do not have, um, what teams do you, I have that you don't have? Uh, I guess my teams oh, are higher up. We'll get to them, I guess. Um, some more controversial teams that I have that you uh, that you don't have. Um, so Houston was up three spots for you. And let's go 20 to 16. 20, Florida State. 19, Auburn. 18, this is mine. 20, Florida State. 19, Auburn. 18, Houston. 17, Wisconsin. 16, Texas Tech. Yeah, I had 20, Florida State, same as you. Then I had 19, Kansas State. Baylor, new to my top 25 at 18th. Washington, new to my top 25 at 17th. And Wisconsin stays put at 16th for me. Yeah, and it looks like Texas Tech is not in your top 25. They've obviously struggled a lot in offensively. Um, you know, I kept them in and fairly high. Maybe it just has some kind of pull inertia there because I had them 10th previously. Um, you guys, you also had them 10th previously. But um, I still believe in the defense and the coaching of Chris Beard. Went to the Elite Eight last year. If they can get things figured out on offense, again, this is something I've said about other teams on offense like Providence, and they haven't gotten to figure it out, so maybe Texas Tech won't. But they did show some signs against TCU, so we'll see. Um, you have them not ranked, and I have them uh, 16th. Um, so Houston moved up seven spots for me, moved up uh, to 18th from 25, which is a big move for me. And obviously you have uh, Washington and Baylor. They went from unranked to um, 17th and 18th. We talked about both those teams already today. Um, are both playing quite good basketball. Um, 15 to 11. I have Marquette moved up four spots. Villanova unchanged. Kansas moved down 11 spots, my biggest dropper. Um, and then 12 is Virginia Tech, no change. Nevada, number 11, moved down three spots. Yeah, I have Marquette, no change from where I had 15 item higher than you did before. Then I have Vatech at 14th, Nevada down 9 to 13th. Villanova um, had them unranked before. They are now in there, and Purdue is at 11th for me. Yeah, so if you look at um, your top 10 now and my top 10, you can tell by who we don't have in there so far. Um, you have Kansas still in your top 10, it looks like. Um, and I have... Um, 
the team, oh, Purdue. So it looks like the one team that we differ on is Kansas. I think we have the same eight teams, one through eight, and I consider that kind of a tier. I don't know if you do as well. Um, maybe there's a couple tiers in there probably with uh, Duke, Virginia. But um, after the eighth spot, I think there's a drop-off, and that's where we kind of, um, the next few are a little bit different. So nine and ten, I have Purdue 10 uh, moved up to 14 spots. They moved into your poll from being out. They moved to from 24th to 14th in mine. Iowa State, I have ninth. They move up um, eight spots, and you two have a couple of teams, have Iowa State 10 moving up 11 spots, and Kansas ninth moving down four spots. I'd moving down a lot more than you. Maybe um, we can talk a little bit about the teams we were, we most differ on, but now we have our top eight. And to me, these are the eight teams that are really legitimate uh, title contenders. Do you see Kansas at nine as a legitimate title contender? No, the drop off is definitely um, after, uh, but above Kansas. I think I put Kansas here because they have a very good resume, and I think that the, if they somehow come out of the Big 12 as the regular season champion or the tournament champion, they're going to get a better seed than Iowa State or anybody else out of the Big 12, and I think that will help them in the tournament just because they'll have a slightly easier path, and that's really um, my position on that. I don't necessarily think they're better than Iowa State or any of these, some of the other teams right around them, like Purdue or Villanova, but I think they have a very good resume, especially if Villanova keeps winning. Remember, they have that win against Villanova, and that'll help them in the seeding process, which just helps them with their chances to win the uh, NCAA tournament or advance farther in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so our well, let's let's get rid of the drama. Our top two are the same. We both have Duke 1, Virginia 2, but our 3 through 8 is very different. For instance, my third team is your eighth team. So the, the six teams in 3 through 8, in no particular order, are uh, Michigan, Michigan State from the Big Ten, Tennessee and Kentucky from the SEC, North Carolina from the ACC, and Gonzaga from the uh, West Coast Conference. So t- tell me what your reasoning is on how you order them 3 through 8. Uh, let's see. So I like Kentucky just because they're playing pretty well now, and I think they're getting better as they go along. And I That's think your number three team. That's my number three team. Carolina, I think, is the most dangerous because they have so much talent. Uh, next most dangerous team because they have so much talent. Tennessee, also a very gifted offensive team. Their defense is a little suspect. Um, I'm already rethinking that one, but they are my fifth team. Then you have Michigan State. Josh Langford now out for the year, so they um, are not quite in the next level. And Michigan has been struggling uh, recently offensively, so that's why they dropped. And Gonzaga, I don't trust their defense. I, I think I've been too... Uh, this may be my d- downfall in this, but I'm too scared of watching just the North Carolina game where they still, in December, they just got run out of the gym. I just see that happening at some point in the NCAA tournament. I like Gonzaga likes to play like that, and I think that's going to be their downfall. Their downfall, But I think this is this is my biggest liability, perhaps, in, the, uh, in this whole exercise. I think I'm down on Gonzaga compared to you, and I think that's really our biggest philosophical difference in this whole thing. Yeah, I have Gonzaga three. Um, after that, it's pretty much the same. I, we both have North Carolina four. I have Kentucky five. You have them third. I have Tennessee six. You have them fifth. Uh, I have Michigan State's um, seventh. You have them sixth. And Michigan eighth. You have them seventh. So it's basically like, basically with a little bit of changes. I uh, we flipped Gonzaga, and then everyone's moved down for me. And everyone's moved up, up for you. Um, the reason I like Gonzaga is I think that they have been. Uh, abnormally dominant in their games against the West Coast Conference. And I think that their losses early in the season came without Killian Tilly. And even though I'm not a huge fan of Geno Crandall, uh, a, lot, a couple of their bad losses came without Geno Crandall as well. Um, you know, Killian Tilly, West Indies comeback, has not been a very high-volume player. So one wonders how much of a difference he will actually make. Um, but And they don't actually go to their, de- their, their bench that much. But... Um, 
but I do think their offense is is absolutely elite. Um, perhaps the best offense in the country. They're first in the country right now, and even in adjusted, even though their schedule obviously is weak. And it's the same thing with Nevada. Nevada and Gonzaga have very weak schedules relative to everyone else. Um, you know, Gonzaga had that one week period where they lost a neutral court by three to Tennessee, and then lost by 13 at North Carolina. And they've only had one A game since then. They won in a close game at San Francisco where they pulled away late. And they have, uh, this week, they have San Francisco at home and St. Mary's at home, which maybe we'll learn a little something there. And they also play at San Diego uh, February 16th and then at St. Mary's on March 2nd. Ultimately, we're not going to learn that much more about them. They're going to be a one seed. They're going to be a two seed, uh, barring like a couple weird losses. At which point, if they had a couple more losses, I w- you would probably drop them in my rankings. But um, we're not going to really know until the NCAA tournament. It seems likely that if, assuming they only lose maybe one more game, they'll be the number one seed out west, which will set them up pretty well for getting the final four. And then once you're there, it's two wins to the title. So um, that's why I like them at three. Uh, North Carolina, Kentucky, I like them more than Tennessee or the or the Big Ten teams, which is the same that you have. No big disagreement there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, my biggest liability probably is the fact that I have Virginia fourth last time and Kansas second. Um, and you have Virginia second now the last two times. It's hard for me to, in, in theory, if Virginia wins the title and you keep them at one or two, unless I kind of fakely put them at one to try to uh, help my rankings. Under. Fakely. Fakely, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it looks like if Virginia wins the title, you probably would win this kind of this challenge, um, whereas Gonzaga would win me the challenge if they won the title. Uh, and we'll see what the rest of the, how the rest of the teams uh, net out. But, um, but yeah, it's weird because I, I had Kansas much higher than you last time. Item two, you had them five, and now I have them much lower than you this time. Um, and I, I guess my, my perspective on Kansas, one, lack of depth. Two, their offense isn't really very strong. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the difference between nine and 13 probably is actually bigger than the difference of we had last year between two and five. Um, so I, it's actually not a very large difference. It's just it's all in one tier, so it probably isn't much of a disagreement as much of a disagreement as the rankings would suggest. Yeah, I mean the consensus is clearly up top, and I think we agree on the the big eight teams or the, and the big two teams, and then we go from there. But we'll learn a lot in the next couple of weeks. And Gonzaga, just to go back to them for one second. They are gonna they have a forty nine percent chance of finishing unbeaten in conference play, and they're 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 toughest game according to Ken Palm is their last game of the year and they only have, they have a 76% chance of winning that game that's at St. Mary's so they are really looking good uh, to come in with you know three or fewer three or fewer losses this season uh, after those two back-to-back games in December and one note teams that dropped out of my ranking probably similar for you um, but I had Indiana way too high last time you had them 24th I had them 13th and now they're out of both of ours so you were definitely right around them <laughs> Uh, Nebraska was 18th for me last time, and they're out. Nebraska is pretty much done now. NC State, I had 20th, and they are out. Although, you know, as recently as a few days ago, if they had beaten Virginia Tech, they probably would be in. Oklahoma has really struggled in the Big 12. I had them 22, and they're out. And Florida, team we talked about already today, um, they were 23rd in my last ranking, and now they are out. Um, so, again, just to recap the top eight, and, again, the, it feels like the, these are the eight teams. Um, although, as in our last poll, uh, they were not the top eight teams. This is one thing of note. Uh, the top last time we had basically a top nine, and in the top nine we had Nevada and Kansas both. Um, and Nevada has dropped out of our both of our top nines. Kansas is still in your top nine, but now we have kind of a consensus top eight. And again, Tom's top eight in order is Duke, Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, Michigan State, Michigan, and Gonzaga. And mine is Duke, Virginia, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, Michigan State, and Michigan. Let's move on. Yeah, moving on. 
So let's look ahead. It's a fun week looking ahead. Um, there's one game that we had on here as an under-the-radar game, uh, in part because we haven't talked about this conference. Um, it, you know, we've talked about some of the great upcoming games um, between the best teams in the other conferences. We have some. We have two Tennessee um, Kentucky games coming up in February or, or March. We have two Michigan-Michigan State games. We have two Marquette um, uh, Villanova games. We have two UNC Duke games. But we also have uh, Cincinnati against Houston coming up. Um, you know, the AAC is not a conference we talk about very often, uh, but Houston is 8-1. and one. Cincinnati yep. is 8-1. and one. And um, if you look ahead on the schedule, those teams play twice, and the first time is at uh, Houston on Sunday, um, and then they play again exactly one, one month later, four weeks later, on Sunday, March 10th, um, at Cincinnati. Um, you have any? Maybe we can just uh, think about and pick this game now. You have any thoughts on Houston or... Uh, I feel like Houston is one of those teams that's because like be the surprise team that sneaks into the final four and everyone's like, oh, they're there. Instead, I think there's like a no name, no brand level, uh, no brand uh, team. Like that would be like one of the scary things, like South Carolina a couple years ago, or not, and not be the quite type of story that Loyola was last year. So, um, but yeah, this is going to be a tricky game for Cincinnati to go to Houston. Um, but their defense is very good, so I mean, sorry, Houston's defense is very good, so that's why it's gonna be tricky for Cincinnati. So they're second in the country, Houston, in effective field goal defense. So Calvin Sampson has recovered recovered nicely from all his phone calls so many years ago. <laughs> and Cincinnati, um, they lost a lot last year. Um, they obviously lost uh, two NBA draft picks in Jacob Evans and Gary Clark. They also lost Kyle Washington. Um, but this year they're led by Jaron Cumberland, who's one of the best players, if not the best players in the ACC, AAC. Um, and and they're top two in the conference, both offense and defense. McCronin keeps it going there with his slow pace. They're the slowest team in the conference, but the best offense because they don't turn it over and they hit the offensive glass, and they're actually a pretty decent shooting team. Houston's led by Corey Davis, who's a, a terrific defender and also their best offensive player. Um, and so and it's a fun game to watch. Uh, it's probably on CBS. Let's, uh, let's nope. confirm. Yeah. It's on ESPN. Oh, it's on ESPN. It's the second best game on Sunday behind Ohio State and Indiana. That game's on CBS at 1 o'clock. Uh, hmm. CBS only has one game a week these days because of the West Coast golf swing. The Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am starts at 3 o'clock on CBS that week. I guess this felt like it could have been maybe a noon Saturday tip if it was going to be a Saturday yeah. game. It's like a classic noon, noon game. Yeah. What's the noon? Is there a noon game? There's on, a 1 uh, o'clock. They have Kentucky at Mississippi State uh, on Saturday. Yeah. We're talking about that game. Well, maybe, uh, so let's let's go through our... Um, I'm having trouble loading our doc. I can see the document. I can't write things in it, so... Okay, well, I'll um, fill you in. Literally. Yeah, so so who do you... So let's... Uh, so Iowa State um, is... Fav- so this is the first game. This is tonight, part of Big Monday. Um, the game's in Oklahoma. The Sooners have struggled. Oklahoma's a two-point underdog at home against Iowa State. Yeah, I like Iowa State. They are obviously very diverse offensively. Oklahoma has gotten blown out recently um, by our friends, the Baylor Bears. So I like Iowa State in this game. Two points is not that much. So I know it's tricky to win on the road in the Big 12, but give me Iowa State. Yeah, Oklahoma's defense for the season is top 20 in Kempom, but it's only seventh in conference play. And their shooting has been down downright Providencian during conference play. They're 46.2% EFG uh, is not very good. Um, Christian James is their best player, but in conference play, he has seen his uh, O rating go from 103.5 to 91, and that's a big part of why Oklahoma is struggling. So uh, we agree on Iowa State. Uh, Up next is tomorrow, we have the Kansas Jayhawks, a one-point favorite at Kansas State in the battle for Sunflowers. 
Yeah, the Sunflower Showdown. Uh, Kansas used to, this rivalry was used to be unbelievably one-sided, but recently Kansas State has stolen several games uh, from Stolen. Kansas. Stolen, that's right. Um, and this game is in Little, the Little Apple, as it's called. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to pick Kansas. I'm hoping that Marcus Garrett is going to play. Uh, it was not considered a serious injury, but then Bill Self said it was, he was definitely out for the game Saturday, so he has three days to ice it and rest, ice, and elevate. Um, so we'll see, but I'll take Kansas. I think they, their shooting was an encouraging sign against Texas Tech, and we'll see if they can continue it. But I would not be surprised at all if they lost this game on the road. Oh, so Kansas is 1-4 and four, or 1-3 on the I road? 1-4 on the road, yeah. Overall? Just overall, We have 1-3 yeah. in the Big 12 play, so not... Not really, and they lost at West Virginia, so they can lose. They can lose there; they'll lose anywhere. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. But uh, that's Kansas. I'll take them. Yeah, I'm taking I'll Kansas State, and and you know, for all the talk about how bad K State's offense has been uh, this season in conference play, they're only scoring 0.3 points per possession, uh, per hundred possessions, worse than uh, Kansas. Kansas State's sixth, and Kansas is fifth. I'll take Kansas State at home, um, as we still, I think, we'll see Kansas struggle to score again. Um, as they have from time to time over the last few weeks. Um, next up, and now I'm not getting into load loader. You have to, oh, there it is. Okay, take me through the take me through the next pick because I'm having trouble here. The, the next, let's do a couple picks at once here. We have uh, Nebraska giving three at home to Maryland. We have Indiana giving one at home to Iowa, and then of course Virginia on Saturday giving four at home to Duke in the best game of the week. An 83.1 thrill score on Ken Palm. Yeah, uh, I don't want to talk about the Big Ten games that much, honestly. Nebraska. Um, is giving three. You got to go with Maryland, um, and then Indiana giving one at home to Iowa. I'll take Iowa. Um, Jawan Morgan, I assume, will still be out. Uh, you don't know that to be the fact, but I still think Iowa is a team that's kind of more put together right now. knows what they, knows who they are, knows what they're doing. Even on the road, I'll take uh, the road teams, Maryland and Iowa. And then in terms of UVA and Duke, um, UVA is a four-point favorite. I'm going to take Duke to cover. Um, uh, I'll just see how Ty Jerome does. He struggled a little bit against, uh, seemingly against Duke's length last time. Trey Jones didn't play last time, um, so they actually won't be quite as long because Trey Jones will play and he's not as long, but he's a terrific defender. Um, at home, the shots probably will be more likely to fall for UVA, uh, but I will take uh, Duke to cover, and I think I will take, uh, I think I'll take Duke to win too, actually. Yeah. This game is interesting because the first game, both teams were so terrible from outside shooting. Their their offense was good even without uh, three-point shooting. And Virginia is a much better three-point shooting team than Duke. So obviously Duke gets some credit for keeping them off the line and doing that. But I think that that's just – and this game was close. It was back and forth. There were a million lead changes in uh, Cameron the last time. And, of course, Trey Jones, as you said, didn't play. So that gives Duke an edge. But you'd have to think Virginia is going to shoot a little bit better from outside. So – I know four points is a lot to Duke, and I know your theory, like, oh, would you rather have Duke plus four, like, once the game starts? But I am going to take Virginia because I think their defense is really good, and I think that Tony Bennett's a good coach, and we'll figure out to make some adjustments against Duke uh, and keep those, keep them out of the getting some easy shots in the paint. And Virginia did not execute well down the stretch in the last game, and that really cost them. And they missed a lot of uh, relatively easy shots. So give me Virginia minus four. That's a very risky pick, though. Okay. I'm back in the document, so that's cool. Beautiful. Um, so we have a couple SEC games coming up also on uh, Saturday. We have Kentucky um, giving one on the road to Mississippi State, and we have LSU giving one at home to Auburn. 
Yeah, Mississippi State's a strange team. We talked about how Kentucky is playing much better lately. Mississippi State, uh, they lost this game to Kentucky in blowout fashion at Rupp Arena on January 22nd, 76-55. Since then, they've beaten Auburn, which was a very important win, uh, and they beat in Mississippi, but they lost to Alabama on the road. They're 4-4 four and four in conference. They started off poorly. Since then, they bounced back uh, to get to 4-4. Four four. They were 0-2 one point. Um, I just like Kentucky going on the road in this game. Um, I'm not entirely sold on Mississippi State's offense, and I think that I will take Kentucky, given the small spread, too. Yeah, I'm taking Mississippi State, and and again, let's let's be clear about one thing that Tom is kicking my butt at picks. So if you wanna, if if we disagree, yeah, you wanna you believe wanna... it. Listen to the rest of the podcast. You wanna believe it, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm gonna take Mississippi State. Uh, they feel like the f- best team of that kind of group of of the LSU, Mississippi State, Mississippi group. I don't know why I consider that a group, uh, or Florida. You can throw them in there, too. Um, I would put them behind Auburn, Kentucky, and Tennessee, but I think they're actually better than LSU. Um, so I think Mississippi is good, and if Kentucky's not going to lose at Mississippi State, they're not going to lose very much at all the rest of the season. So that might be the case. Maybe they're going to go like 15-3 and three or 16-2 and two in conference, but, um, but I'm going to pick uh, Mississippi State to win this one. Um, and then with the other game, LSU-Auburn, I'm taking Auburn. Uh, you know, I was. I feel like people are getting too low on Auburn. Auburn seems to be playing a little bit better of late. Uh, and by of late, I mean like this week. Um, <laughs> they uh, they blew out Missouri at home. They blew out Alabama at home. Um, and so, you know, I, Austin Wiley is still out, and that's problematic. But um, I think LSU actually is. I, I don't. I just don't think LSU is that good. Uh, and maybe it's just this SEC thing. I just don't think anyone in the SEC is that good besides Kentucky and Tennessee. But that 7-0 start in conference, they had two OT wins in that stretch um, against not very good teams, especially Missouri. Um, so I'm not convinced that LSU is that good. But maybe I'll look dumb in a couple of weeks because they do have some good players, Tremont Waters, uh, Nazareth, et cetera. And they won. Uh, they lost at uh, lost a neutral Florida State before they lost a neutral to so they sorry won a neutral against St. Mary's, and then they their best wins are at Arkansas at Mississippi, and they lost to Arkansas at home by one point. So they're definitely playing some ex- close exciting games. Uh, I just think given that they're at home against Auburn, which really has had some weird games too. Auburn is they may be too down on um, Auburn, but they've lost uh, three of their four road games in conference to Mississippi. South Carolina, Mississippi State. Um, their only road win was against uh, Texas A&M, so that basically doesn't count. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm taking uh, LSU here. LSU is a team that I don't really have any good grip on whatsoever, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll wake and coach. Um, and But, uh, yeah, I, I feel the same way you do. Maybe, maybe I have to make a point of watching the LSU-Auburn game just so I can get better. I think they also have another game, LSU, before that, they have another pretty good game coming up. Yeah, they put Mississippi State on the road on Wednesday. So it's a good chance to check out LSU this week if you're not uh, that familiar with them and maybe want to see what you think about them and form your own judgments. Um, in terms of the couple ACC games we have on Saturday, the best ACC games besides Virginia Duke are Florida State, one-point favorite home against Louisville, and Va Tech, a four-point pick on the road against Clemson. I'm going to take Florida State. They had a weird lull earlier in the season where they weren't playing well at all. Um, you know, they had a, a bad loss to Boston College, um, and they they were just not playing good basketball. But it seems like they've bounced back, righted the ship, and... Um, 
They're back in the top 30 at Kempom. Um, they had that two-point home loss at Duke, and then they had road losses by 13 and 5 at Pittsburgh and BC, but they since have won three straight. Um, they do play Syracuse on Tuesday at Syracuse, which should be an interesting game, but they host Louisville. I'm going to take Florida State in that one. Louisville, I think, even at 15 in Kempom, is going to be a little bit high for them. Um, they, I think they're overachieving their talent a little bit. That might even out. And then for Virginia Tech and Clemson, I've been wrong on Clemson picking them a lot this year, but I'm going to do it again. They're four-point favorite at home. They're a pretty good team. They really need a win. Um, and Vatek has been a little bit weird this year, a little bit up and down, although the last two games they've won by 23. The last three games, 23 and 12 on the road at NC State in Miami, and they beat twenty. They won by 22 against Syracuse. What do you think? Uh, I like Virginia Tech. There are three losses this year at Penn State, at Virginia, at North Carolina. No shame there. Now, of course, they were blown out in the two ACC losses on the road, so that would there's some shame in that. Um, so give me Virginia Tech. They're eighth in Ken Palm, which is very high, but still good for them. Uh, so give me Virginia Tech against Clemson. And then the other game was Florida. I like Florida State. I think they are good and just, you know, they've had some blips. There are very few teams that have not had blips this year. Basically Duke and Virginia are the only two teams that haven't had blips this year. And maybe against yeah. Aga, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, Virginia Tech is, re- is really good. They got Nikhil Alexander Walker, Justin Robinson, Kerry Blackshear. Those three guys are all efficient. Blackshear's been a huge uh, breakout player for them. Um, you know, he's been taking a lot more possessions than I expected him to, especially with Chris Clark out. So, um, and that leaves us with uh, with three games. We have, and really one we already talked about. Um, we have Michigan, Wisconsin. Michigan giving five at home, the rematch of, of Michigan's first loss of the year, and Marquette at home against Villanova. Marquette uh, giving two. Um, at home against the Wildcats in that Big East showdown. Yeah, Villanova, the hottest team in the country, you could argue, so give me them against Marquette. And then Michigan, I'm a little apprehensive about this pick, given the way they played the first time through and how they just stumbled at Iowa, but they do have Rutgers uh, on the road to trying to get ready for this game. Um, that's on Tuesday. So I think um, Michigan State, even their, even with their... Uh, struggles in conference play and offense, uh, just barely uh, average, basically. Uh, their defense is still there. They're still first in the conference and, and defensive efficiency. Uh, give me them at home against Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, these two teams, are, I've seen them a lot this year. All four of these teams, Marquette, Villanova, Wisconsin, and Michigan, as much as any of the top teams in any conference in the country for me. Um, the Michigan-Wisconsin, why I don't have a good feel for. I'm taking Michigan just because I think uh, Wisconsin will struggle to score uh, at Michigan. Uh, that defense is still really, really good. Um, Marquette Villanova, it's basically who hits more threes. Uh, and I also think Marquette can get to the line in a way that Villanova is not really able to. And I think at home they might get some whistles, so I'm going to take Marquette in that one. And the last one we just talked about, the best game, one of the best games on Sunday, you could argue the best game, Houston-Cincinnati, Houston five-point favorite. I'm taking the Bearcats. We were talking about the game itself. Um, you have? Uh, I'm taking uh, Houston. So there you have it. So the games we disagree on, just a, a recap. Uh, I have Iowa. Tom has Indiana. I have Duke. Tom is Virginia. I have Mississippi State. Tom is Kentucky. I have Auburn. Tom is LSU. I have Marquette. Tom is Villanova. I have Clemson. Tom is Virginia Tech. And I have Cincinnati. And Tom is Houston. So pick all of Tom's teams. They put your money on those. <laughs> Tom was 9-3 and three last week. I was 6-6. Six and six, So that's the way you got to go. Um, and and then we'll come back and talk to us next Monday, and uh, we'll tell you how we did. Maybe it'll it'll flip, and I, and maybe I'm I'm trying to I'm gonna get my groove in February. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, I would I wouldn't bet on it though, Tom. Just like they no. say, the NCAA players don't bet on it. 
Don't okay. bet on it. Don't take money. Don't have your parent, your guardians take money. Yeah. And don't go somewhere you want to transfer out of because you have to sit out a year. Those are some good rules yeah. to live by. Yeah, if, if you want to listen or watch, in this case, a documentary about uh, point shaving in college basketball, I know there's the one about Boston College that's 30 for 30, but um, City Dump, about the City College of New York, which is right in my neighborhood, blocks away from where I live, and the only team ever to win the NIT and NCAA tournament in the same year. It's on, It's available on HBO. I think it's definitely HBO Go, probably HBO Now. You can check it out. It's from the late 90s, and it's, uh, it's a good documentary. Um, maybe uh, let us know what you think. Maybe you can let us know via Twitter at Double Bonus Pod or Good email segue. Double Bonus Pod at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm I'm not a rank amateur, Tom. I'm I'm like just like a, a mediocre amateur. Um, what was does, what does rank amateur mean? Is that like really bad amateur? That's what it means. But what, what is rank like? Is that like a what does that word mean in that case? That's a good question. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it ruined my segue. Not your fault. I just I just got stuck in the word rank. I put a little Zach Lowe there where I got stuck in like a, a usage of a word. Um, anyway, email us doublebonuspod at gmail.com. Our website is doublebonuspod.com. Twitter at doublebonuspod. Rate, review, subscribe, download. Uh, tell your friends on Apple iTunes, on Google Play Music, and on Spotify. Anything? Uh, I'm going to see you in person on Saturday. Yeah, double gonna... bonus. First ever double bonus basketball outing. And it'll be the first time we've watched a college basketball game together all season, which is remarkable. But mostly mm-hmm. to uh, mostly my schedule is to blame, but it's very mm-hmm. exciting. We may even watch two games together on Saturday. Yeah, I'm coming there with a little friend. Uh, a little uh, six-year-old is going to watch the game with us. But I think after the game, I might take him back home to see his family. Hopefully he's had a good time. And then rejoin you and our and our friend Dan, a Providence College alum, to watch the uh, at least the second half of Marquette-Villanova, uh, which hopefully will be a good game. I'm a little bit worried about Providence getting blown out by St. John's. Uh, but their defense is good enough where it'll probably be one of those games where it'll be close for 25 minutes and they'll lose by like nine. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a fun afternoon. <laughs> yeah. But the, the good thing is you, I, you have a buffer, as they say on The Godfather, too. In a six-year-old, I can't get too upset and yell and scream and curse or drink too much and be a, be a, a revolting because uh, that's... <laughs> sliding you know, scale. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's a <laughs> sliding scale. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, I'll see you Saturday, and then we'll be back here next week uh, to break it down. Hopefully, it'll be more joy in our team's performances, um, especially Providence and Northwestern. And, uh, and yeah, get excited about college basketball. It's February. No more football. I'll talk to you guys soon.